Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. On the show today, we've got Greg Dolan. Greg is the CEO and co-founder of Keen Decision Systems. We talk a little bit about Keen, where it is, what they're doing now, how it impacts uh, marketing performance of many, many different organizations. And then we talk and go into detail around what should marketers be thinking about for a downturn or recession? If we're in one now, what should they be thinking? As well as tackling some of the research in the marketing community that coming from Byron Sharp in terms of really about reach over targeting. We also address Bennett and Fields research on the 60-40 long-term versus short-term mix and much more. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. It's a deep dive into performance and how marketers should be thinking about tracking their performance, making the decisions that they make and much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Greg Dolan. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Al. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to talk to you. It's been a while. And uh, I hear you're now in your 12th coaching season for football. Is that right? That's right. Uh, that's how I spend my other uh, full-time job. <laughs> so I've enjoyed it. I've been doing it, as you mentioned, I've been doing it for 12 seasons and uh, kind of followed my boys up. I have an older boy who's 
17. I got a younger one who's 13. So we I've been coaching them for a while and it's been one, I love the sport, but two, you know, just being able to be around a lot of great young men who, uh, you know, you have a, a hand in helping them, you know, grow and develop has been, has been awesome. And also we've had some success. So we're five and zero this season and have a, a pretty good chance at another league championship. So definitely love spending my time outside of work around the football field. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I mean, that's kudos on the success five and Oh, that's no joke. Yeah. We have, we've had a nice five year run. I think we've lost three games in five years. So, uh, Holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> we've had some success going there. That's not just coaching. That's like a dynasty development. Yeah. You know, Nick Saban, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're I don't know if you've watched any of the um the show Welcome to Wrexham with uh Ryan Reynolds who bought the like soccer team over in well in Wales. But I feel like I mean your team should get promoted to the next level. Like you should go oh, straight to high school absolutely with, with your age group. <laughs> <laughs> right to the varsity level. Yeah, yeah exactly. Ex- exactly. Next thing you know, you're gonna be in the NFL with with this dynasty that you're creating. <laughs> I like I like it. Well, on the business front, tell everyone a little bit about like what your path has been. You're now CEO at Keen Decision Systems. Um, how'd you get started and, and how'd you end up as CEO at Keen? Absolutely. So um, I've had kind of a windy path to get here. So I, I coming out of college, I always thought I wanted to be an investment banker. So I started my career on the finance side and realized pretty quickly that you know 90 hour weeks, uh, the art of the deal wasn't for me and decided to go back to business school and switch careers and become a marketer. And um, I was really passionate about you know, building businesses and passionate about marketing in general. So, um, you know, found that CPG brand management was the right path for me. And when I got out of, gr- of grad school, you know, spent about 10 years in the, in the food industry and, uh, Pretty tr- traditional brand management roles with PL responsibility, uh, general management responsibility, and quickly realized from there that I wasn't a big company guy and had an entrepreneurial bug and uh, decided to leave Keen, uh, leave uh, Campbell's at the time. So I was at Kraft Foods and then Campbell Soup Company for seven years and uh, take that experience to try to solve some problems for marketers through, through software. And uh, that's been the path. And we've been at this at Keen since uh, since 2010, so almost 13 years. Yeah, that's amazing. Tell us a little bit more about what Keen does today. Absolutely. So back when I was a consumer packaged goods brand marketer, as you know, you know, one of the big decisions you need to make is, okay, I have a P&L and, and marketing is my lever. So how do I best allocate resources to be able to hit my financial goals, top and bottom line. And what I realized when I was in that role was a traditional you know, old-fashioned consultative marketing mix wasn't very helpful. So it came in a PowerPoint presentation. It was historically focused. It didn't really give me answers or guidance about what decision to make next. So I felt like there was an opportunity to disrupt that market. And uh, we've developed a software solution that not only helps you to understand how you performed historically across all your different marketing channels, and do it in real time, leveraging the best information at the moment. But more importantly, it predictively gives you an answer of where to spend the next dollar. So uh, helps you build plans that optimizes directly against your financial objectives. So you're solving the marketing proof gap, which is a big challenge facing CMOs and marketers everywhere. How do you make sure that you're accountable for every dollar that's being spent and you're achieving those financial outcomes that marketing is intended to drive. No, I mean, it's really important because to your point, like the marketing mix models of the past, it's like driving, looking backwards. <laughs> it's a little dangerous. You don't know where you're going. All you know is where you've been. And I do like the emphasis on the the go forward. And and for listeners, I probably should, we should say that we've done work together, uh, both at Keen and then, and after Keen, I've brought you in and used 
the software that you guys developed um, at a couple places. And um, it, it is, I mean, I can do a little self-endorsement. It, it's, it's like no, no other tool out there from a planning standpoint, as far as I can tell. There's a couple that I had I have run across, but I have to say I don't I don't know that they're as easy to use or as naturally focused on the decision making process as the keen tools. So yeah, I mean that's the that was the big pivot that we were trying to make and help marketers make is you know, let's go from just looking at history and understanding measurement and point in time and really focus on the decisions because you know even looking at the decisions that I had to make as a marketer 25 years ago, where I had to decide between TV, print, and radio. And over time, obviously, we have digital, we have fragmentation across a lot of different channels. There's not uh, you know, a handful of decisions like I was making yearly. It's it's hundreds of, if not thousands of decisions that are being made almost daily. So you you have to have you know data that's in you know in good condition in a system in technology to help you make those decisions based on that that information. Well, and bring up a good point with just the fragmentation of all the channels that are available to a marketer today. There's also not, I mean, you guys have built one, but there's not a lot of great solutions out there to actually look at performance across them altogether. Even traditional marketing mix fails a lot of times in bringing those two things together, both like the digital, more smaller spin, but higher velocity items um, with the bigger budget you know, traditional marketing elements as well. And I think you guys have done a nice job bringing those two together as well. In my experience working with the tool. Yeah, I appreciate that. And we're, it, it's, it's interesting. We were talking to a client the other day and, and a lot of the, the challenges I think marketers are facing are still, it's still based on the organization uh, and everything is really siloed. And especially through COVID, we're seeing this and we do a lot of work in CPG. So we're seeing tremendous growth on the e-com side and retail media as new channels to help to understand, for, you know, how, how they're impacting the business. And one of our clients that represents about 30% of their marketing budget, and it's not being accounted for at all in any of the, the marketing measurement or marketing mix work that they're doing. So they're missing a you know millions of dollars of potential impact. And to your point, if they're not looking at it from a unified perspective and they're not including that on the same playing field as all the rest of their spend, they're not really understanding the interaction effects and how to best spend their dollars across all of those channels uh, in service of the of the financial outcomes that they're looking for. And you take that a step further and they also, if they're in silos like that, they're also not well prepared to go have a finance conversation <laughs> in terms of the total plan, right? Like what's my total plan? What's the risk behind that total plan? What am I signing up for? And what does the profile of that performance look like? All questions that are valid financial questions, you're going to get asked as a marketer. And without a better way, without a better tool, you're kind of left guessing. <laughs> yeah. I used to call it the fire. I still call it the firing squad. And I, you know, brings me back to uh, some bad memories of time sitting in front of my CFO without, without a lot of answers around what's performing well and then what do I do next? So yeah, it, it definitely is a requirement now of the CMO to be fluent in what the CFO's language is and that's dollars and cents. So yeah, you're being asked to to drive the business and marketing is a lever that drives the business and must do it profitably. And you need to know how every dollar is impacting your, your financial performance. Uh, and that's an expectation. I think that's part of the reason why we see CMOs with such a, a low tenure in the uh, 
in the in the C-suite. Uh, it's that accountability. I mean, if you go into a, a CFO or a board meeting and you have a bunch of vanity metrics or KPIs uh, that are very marketing driven, you're going to lose people in about a minute. So to your point, <laughs> being able to understand how that dollar impacted not only today's uh, P&L, but also is impacting shareholder value over time is really important. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, I've got a series of questions because uh, you're, you're kind of working in a space that's hot right now. Um, and, and there's a lot of eyes looking at it. And then you've got a lot of other things that are going on in the, in the world around us or, um, thought leadership, if you will, or research that have been, has been brought to the forefront by different thinkers in the industry. So I'll ask you a few questions, see, see how, what you guys are seeing, what you're thinking. But right now, as we look ahead, it looks like all signs seem to be pointing to an economic downturn or recession. And, you know, we'll probably find out in a quarter from now that we're already in one. It would be my guess. But what what should marketers be thinking about in terms of marketing in a down economy? It's interesting. Um, I was thinking that today's marketers uh, I'm, I'm not are not as old as me, old man like me, but uh, hadn't uh, hadn't actually managed the business through a recession. So this is all new for a lot of folks. That's very right? true, actually. Yeah, yeah I thought <laughs> so, about that. <laughs> um, back in the Great Recession, when uh, you know I was managing businesses, but you know I think the knee jerk reaction over time has always been to just cut everything. And I think there's pressure from the finance folks when you don't have a good answer for how marketing is performing to just execute against that. So if your business isn't going to be doing as well and you're facing really stiff headwinds uh, with with the economy, then you should just cut everything. I think all the academic research and the work that we've done really demonstrates that, you know, folks that continue to stay the course and well, may may right size their investment, but still continue to support the business and the brand through the recession are in a better competitive position for the recovery. I mean, they're going to be, they'll have an advantage, a competitive advantage of you know, post post recession. So we we've actually seen that in all the work that we've done. So we've had clients that have cut completely through the first part of the pandemic, and they're having a much more difficult time rebounding. I think they're going to go back through now a cycle of of difficulty, and they're going to be even worse off given the fact that they didn't continue to support the business. And others who have realized that you know they are bu- building layers of rock, and if you're not spending on if you're not spending on your business, then you're businesses that, you know, all of the marketing that you have put into the marketplace over the last couple of years is decaying, which is then impacting your base business. So the decline is going to be even steeper without that support. And we've seen that come through mathematically with a number of our clients who continued to support the business. Again, probably cut back a bit and right size based on the headwinds, but they're in a much better, much stronger position competitively now than they were than some of the competitors that they're facing. Well, and there's two examples in non-downturn times, but I think they're applicable to non-downturn times that I've experienced firsthand using 
you guys is, uh, you know, capability. And like one was, I'll try to blind these as best I can, but one was a consumer services company that services homes and commercial I know which businesses. one you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, the layers of rock that you talked about, which are these, the, the way that you guys are actually able to tease out the long-term impacts of marketing over time. They had, we started to see as we, as we did the analysis that like those waves got shorter and shorter over time and they were increasing kind of more performance marketing spend. And then we got to the risk analysis, right? That they have a pretty tight risk profile with their plan. And I remember the CMO literally totally excited and exuberant, jumping out of his chair um, and is like, this is awesome, running down the hall to talk to the CFO and then coming back. And I go, what did you just go tell him? And he's like, I just told him I bought a collar option on our marketing plan. And I said, well, I wish you wouldn't have run down the hall that quickly because your collar option costs you $20 million and your entire budget's only 23. So even in good times, I think you have to look at those payout, you know, the payout options, if you will. And risk is not a bad thing as long as you understand it. And I think, you know, as we're going into uncertain times, it even pays even more to know and try to understand the, the underlying risk within your plan. The other one that comes to mind was a completely different category, but it was a high tech like media company. You can think like high growth, trying to drive premium subscriptions um, to their app. And, uh, and they were trying to hit a specific premium subscriber number by a certain date. And it was like one of those questions of how much do we have to spend to hit it by this date versus how, you know, what's the next level of investment we would need, you know, lower investment we would need and when would we hit, hit that by, right? And it was some factor of like 10x, the amount of investment they needed to try to pump through the number of premium subscribers they wanted to hit within 12 months. And all they had to do was wait six more months. And it was like this interesting dichotomy of like, yeah, you can grow at hyper growth speed, assuming you got the budget and endless resources. But is that the right question to be asking at this moment in time when if six months more of time, you could get there with what you're spending today? Definitely. I mean, I, th I think what you're talking about is, you know, what is the goal or the objective of the brand, uh, what are you being asked to do? Because that that frames the decision that the marketer has to make, and it also frames your investment profile. So, if to your point, if you're looking to grow really fast, you can do that. Just step on the gas, pour more gas on the fire, whatever you want to say. But also realize that once you pass that point of diminishing returns, that's going to be really unprofitable. And to your point, can you wait? Can you have more sustained investment, uh, which will you know, help you get to the same. It may take a little bit longer, but it's going to be more profitable and you're going to have more sustained sustained growth uh, over time. Yeah, definitely more profitable. And the case of what I saw and it was, I think they ended up going with that short one, but I was like, man, I would not want to be the VC back in this company because they're just burning, literally torching my cash. So anyway, that's I, that off my soapbox. Uh, thanks for answering the recession downturn question. Now I'm going to turn to Byron Sharp, who everyone loves and hates uh, <laughs> and the Ehrenberg Bass Institute. And they, they've got a lot to say on how, how brands grow. And I'm curious to see what you guys are seeing in terms of reach 
over targeting. I mean, obviously Byron is all about reach, you know, mass versus targeting. Yeah. We're, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing most of our clients go, go against the grain there. And I think, uh, uh, really start to focus more on Uber granular targeting than versus broad reach and, you know, mass, uh, mass reach to, to grow the business. And I think that's being driven by, you know, real focus on data and technology. And we have a lot of clients and I think, I think ultimately the, the folks that own the data uh, and own the consumer relationship are the ones that are going to win in this situation. So I think a lot of the the clients that we're working with are seeing that as uh, first party data relationships as well, and trying to create that, which would then allow them to be more targeted from an overall segment perspective, but also uh, from a from a marketing channel perspective and a campaign per, uh, perspective. So. Yeah, you know, we have some clients that are saying, "Well, if we can, you know, have the infrastructure from a data and technology standpoint, then we can, you know, Uber target down to the zip code plus four uh, level to be able to reach certain consumer, uh, certain consumer, certain consumer groups across uh, a number of our brands." So um, we tend to be seeing more of that and more demand for that type of approach than the the mass reach, broad appeal type of approach. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, it feels a little bit like. Right now, as it relates to data and other kind of targeting technologies, as well as machine learning, we're kind of in an arms race of trying to arbitrage our way to the best efficient way to grow. So yeah, it makes makes sense that that's what you guys are seeing as well. I'll just tell a little story. I have a I was having a conversation with one of our Fortune 500 CMOs uh, clients maybe a couple of weeks ago, and she's like, you know, with data and technology, we're going to get more tar- targeted. And I see us making 80% of our decisions in an automated way, <laughs> the driven by technology. That's where she's taking. And I know that's controversial because we don't want marketers to lose their jobs. Uh, and I think there'll be other other jobs that emerge as the as the market evolves, but it's just interesting to see how how powerful machine learning can be and kind of data support uh, decision support for a lot of the decisions that uh, that marketers are making. Yeah, well, and I know you guys are focused on the numerical quantitative side of marketing, but like in other episodes, we've talked about how machine learning and AI can be you know used on the creative side as well. And one of my friends from high school, of all things, um, is doing AI supported art now through this function. <laughs> I don't even understand what to call it, uh, but it's definitely an AI function uh, called Mid Journey. Um, and you can you kind of like give it in words what you're hoping that it can come back with with illustrations of. And then she takes that concept was originally kind of birthed, if you will, from AI and then tweaks it, you know, in her own regards. And I think it's actually kind of an interesting like human and AI partnership to create new art, which is kind of interesting. That is, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like when you say 80%, you know, the CMO says 80% of decisions could be made by machines. Yeah. It's a little scary at the front forefront, but it makes me think, man, now I can be, I can free up my time to think about the more complicated or nuanced kind of human problems that we also need to solve too. So we always say that we want to spend more time on strategy too, right? So wouldn't that be great to take a step back and get away from the execution, let let the plan, let the strategic plan that we've developed be executed and optimized through machine learning over time. And we could focus on what's next, innovation, 
strategic planning, all those pieces. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, uh, we talked about Byron, so you can't talk about Byron without talking about uh, Bennett and Fields. And for the longest time, I thought it was Benet, but it's Bennett, apparently. But they have that magical mix of 60-40 long-term versus short-term you know, marketing spend. Um, and they, it, there's some flux in that. Like They acknowledge that's kind of like a, a rule of thumb, but not the actual mix you an individual business might need to use. But I'm curious if if some sort of mix like that plays out in the data that you guys see. I think it does. Um, I think you and I speak the same language here. And I was just actually talking to our old friend and my you know, co-founder John Buspis about this topic. And you know, we are are constantly trying to get you know marketers to see marketing and investment as you know a value creator, right? So it's creating asset value over time. Uh, Unfortunately, it's treated as an expense, which is a constant battle. But in order to build a sustainable business that drives value, shareholder value over time, you need to focus on the long-term brand building. I think depending on, you know, again, what sector or what the maturity of the brand is, maturity of the category, all of those different pieces, it could even be higher, right? In terms of what you're focused in brand building versus versus your short-term transactional sales-driven type of, tra- of of tactics. So we're definitely a proponents of that and our math and algorithms coming out of our system would, would demonstrate that as we're you know, we have, as you know, we have a, a max MPV scenario, which essentially says, well, how do you how do you maximize value over time in the brand? And that obviously always leans on long-term brand building tactics, you know, heavier weight, uh, whether it's 60, 40 or 70, 30. And um, unfortunately, we're going against the grain there in a lot of cases. And in trying to get marketers to think about that is, is one of the key things that we do every day. Of course, you can try to you know, load up on sales-driven tactics and, and, and short-term transaction-driving channels. And that's going to have a short-term impact on revenue. But to your earlier point, it's going to, it's going to decay pretty quickly. And it's going to be a lot more inefficient to get that same volume going forward. So that's something that, uh, that marketers need to really understand. But I think it's also being able to talk about long-term value and translating marketing into value creation with the CFO that's ultimately going to help there as, help there as well. Again, putting marketing, articulating marketing in the same language as uh, as the CFO and the CEO and the rest of the board. I mean, it's amazing that we can, if we try, get to maximizing net present value for marketing spend and investment. You just have to want to get there. <laughs> yes, you got to believe it. Um, and I, I don't know if all marketers believe it, even though they're in marketing, which is amazing to me. But once you believe it, then marketing is actually able to drive value. And then, you know, we know we can quantify it. Then it makes a very easy conversation with the CFO. Put this up against, a, put marketing up against a capital investment for your plant. <laughs> we'll, we'll show you a better uh, return on investment, better value creation. Yeah, no, I love it. Love it. Well, I think this, you guys, timing wise, I, I, I know you've been at this for a while, but like kind of a magical moment because we're in the face of this lack of direct measurement as cookies are on their way out or third party cookies, I should say, are on their way out um, from digital channels. You've seen, I mean, I've talked to people over the years, you know, Facebook uh, reduced their ability to measure a number of different things or segment spend and targeting further. So it's, it's this magical kind of like storm that's brewing around like measurement of the things that were inherently always measurable and now are no longer, it seems, attributable to, <laughs> to, to anything. How are you guys, you know, helping marketers think through that 
that fiasco, if you will. It is a fiasco. Uh, so, <laughs> so we went from top in the you know the last forty years, we've gone from top down traditional marketing mix, inference, econometric time series regression of traditional tactics, and people said, well, that's not comprehensive enough. We're just going to throw that out, and now we got this new shiny toy, which is digital, and we can just attribute everything to sales. And we went all the way to attribution. And then we're going to throw that out and combine it. And I think to your point, we're in a really good, we're in a really good point in time now and maturation of the market where we can start bringing all these pieces together in a, in a unified way through inference, right? Um, versus direct measurement. And we sit right there in the middle of, of all that. We're in partnership conversations with a number of tech companies. And there's one really big tech company that you would know that said, Hey, we thought, tr- you know, marketing mix was complete trash. And then we realized attribution wasn't going to work. So we're, we're, we're willing to kind of lean in and, uh, and start looking at more of a unified approach that pulls all these pieces together. So I do think that given all the fragmentation we were talking about, all the complexity that we were talking about before, the potential conflict, I know you and I over the years have talked about the, the three C's, conflict, uh, complexity, and cost in terms of how you develop these systems and make decisions and, and leverage all the data and information that you have. And I think we're finally in a, in a place where you can't do it through just human decision-making. You can't make these thousands of decisions and trade-offs without technology. You have to have the data in a way that is going to, and information in a way that's going to be automated and up-to-date because the decisions are faster. And you got to be able to do it less costly, uh, which is where software comes in. So I think finally at a, a, a stage in, in not only the tech adoption of marketers, which I think is accelerating, which has helped to accelerate our market. But I think this is where we're headed, you know, being able to leverage data in a structured way against a decision across all different channels, uh, providing all the trade-offs across the thousands of decisions you need to make in service of a, a financial decision or financial outcome you're looking to achieve uh, and be able to do that in a repeatable way. I love where this is going. And um, I'll bring up two examples that I think maybe even take it to an extreme level, right? Like everything's great and everything's measurable until you're Elon Musk and you're trying to buy Twitter and you try to open up the covers and say, All right, how much is real? Like how much is real under here? And then you you start to try to say, oh crap, I'm going to try to back out of this $44 billion deal because I don't know how many bots are there. It's all measurable and digital and exciting until it's not. <laughs> the other one that's more near and dear and you know, is an episode I might link to as it relates to this, but Uber went through this as well and realized that like, they're getting great performance from all their digital programmatic ad spend. And then they woke up one day um, because they were getting called out that their ads were showing up places they shouldn't be, that they started digging into their performance and realized that they just started turning stuff off and realized that they were still hitting their numbers. They kept turning stuff off and kept turning stuff off until they realized that they had a $100 million ad fraud problem on their hands. What and that what they thought was ultra measurable. So I love the fact that we're getting to a place where like we can build decision systems and knowledge bases that force you to think about the interconnected relationships and trade-offs that we're making in our marketing mix because like I think that's where judgment lives in a really good way. Meaning like you're not just chasing that next return or that next click-through rate that you're trying to optimize. In the case of, say, Uber with ad fraud or even Elon with like thinking this is a great business to go by. But you're actually stepping back from that and saying, like, is it, does it seem rational and logical that I'm getting this much performance through this given channel? 
and it's my only channel as one example, you know, like probably not probably need to think about a little bit of a diversification strategy here. So anyway, I think we're at that stage. I hope it's exciting. (laughs) Me too. 13 years later. (laughs) I know it's taken us a while, but I I think you're there. At least I hope we are, man. I don't want to, I don't want to wait this out another 13 years. I know you know me either. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's going to, it's, it's inevitable at this point. I mean, it has to happen. Uh, marketers aren't going to be able to survive without taking that perspective that you're talking about. They have to be able to see across all and be able to make those decisions and be able to demonstrate, articulate, quantify everything that they're, every decision they're making. Well, cool. This has been a fun business conversation. <laughs> I want to switch gears and ask you the questions I ask everyone that comes on the show. And my favorite one to ask is, is has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today. So you know you know me pretty well. I uh, <laughs> I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my in my mouth, and um, you know always seemed to have a bit of a chip on my shoulder. And I think that made me a little gritty and, and hungry. And I think that's what has made me successful as an entrepreneur. So I've I've kind of had to work through adversity. In my you know not health wise or, or or anything you know life or death, but you know I wasn't a highly recruited athlete. I, you know, earn my way onto a Division One baseball team. I wanted to be an investment banker, as I, as I mentioned before. Well, I didn't go to an Ivy League school, and it took me forever to get in there. Uh, but I didn't give up. You know, twenty times later, I guess I became an okay interviewer at that point, <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to land one. But you know, I took the same. I've taken the same approach to you know my career and uh, you know becoming an entrepreneur. It's about you know keep you know setting setting a goal and keeping your head down and uh, learning from your failures and you know, pressing through adversity, uh, and just, you know, one step at a time. And I think, uh, you know, I'm a believer, you know, 13 years into this, uh, you know, we've, we've had success, but I think, um, you know, it's taken 13 years to kind of see where the, the next kind of, uh, inflection point is, uh, for the, for the industry and where the, where our business may go. So I think if we, we ran, wait around long enough, we work hard enough, you're, you're finally going to get there. And that's, that's the biggest learning for me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And we, we do know each other. Like, I, I don't think I would ever want to get in between you and whatever you're going after. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there. I don't want to be in the way. So yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Well, what advice, if you're starting this journey all over again, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, try to relax a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what my wife would say too. No, I think uh, I think at the end of the day, realizing that your your career is a marathon, it's not a sprint. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs throughout you know throughout your career. I think um, you know my younger self got really frustrated when I wasn't making enough progress as quickly as I wanted to, and uh, you know I'm still pretty impatient <laughs> as you can imagine as a CEO, but I've gotten a lot better over time, and I think. Enjoying all as- aspects of life, being as patient as possible, you know, is important to both mental and physical health. So I think that makes me a better CEO. It makes me a better husband, friend, uh, father. And, you know, I've started to translate that into what we do at Keen from a, from a values and, and culture perspective as well. We just moved to a conscious culture this year and we moved to a four day work week. And we've always been, you know, very you know, generous in terms of, you know, benefits and, you know, the flexibility of working here. But I think it became clear to me that, you know, we're, we're fast growing startup where we have high growth aspirations every year, but you also still have to have a good relationship between, you know, between work and your personal life. And being intentional about that is something that's really important to me and something that I've kind of learned over the years. I love it. Well, uh, what topic do you think marketers need to be learning more about? Or it might be something you're trying to learn more about yourself. Yeah, I I think what I'm fascinated by is, you know, I, I kind of alluded to it before is 
you know, what we're talking about is, is organizational change. And we talk, still talk to a lot of companies that are very siloed from a marketing perspective. You know, different groups are controlling different parts of the customer experience. And, you know, it's not about digital transformation. It really is about strategic marketing transformation. How do you, you know, to your earlier point, how do we think about putting these pieces together in a way that allows you to see the full customer experience and really understand how you move all the levers to be able to impact that in a profitable way. So that that's the biggest thing for me, I, you know, taking notice of that. I mean, there and we're starting to see organizations understand that. You know, we have a client that, you know, just put finally put uh, they're kind of brick and mortar traditional business together with ecom. Uh, they were sitting in two different groups reporting in two different reporting structures. The ecom team was reporting up to the chief customer officer and everything else was reporting to the CMO. And they finally realized that it had to come under the CMO so that, that individual could be responsible for looking across the entire business. So I'm really hoping that more of that happens because I think ultimately that's how you really start to unlock the value that can be created. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, my uh, the day job I have is many times working through those organizational hurdles and challenges and helping to guide people through them. But I feel like I'm more of a a company psychologist many days than than a consultant. But yeah, I mean, and it's, it's super complex, but I was talking to a, a headhunter recently who focuses on kind of CMOs and the and and that space where the CM, CMOs, chief growth officers, you know, chief experience officers, all those different title versions. And it was apparent to me like if marketing has like what we talked about before, a way in which they're making grounded, logical, fact-based decisions and then can live with those decisions and adjust their plans over time and speak in financial terms, you can start to drive transformation that much faster. Like it gets really weird and really squirrely when those things don't exist because there's no common language. And many times with the the recruiter I was just talking with, it feels like the CEO is creating another role because he's not getting it from marketing. Marketing is, you know, just the capability center. It's not driving growth for the business. And so now I need a chief growth officer is going to sit either side by side, or maybe my CMO is actually going to report. Report to him. Yep. Yeah. Report to that chief growth officer and he or she, and we're at this critical moment, but like, I always think of it like this whole problem is a system, right? And like you have to define the system that works. And to do that, you need all elements firing together, right? And and um, anyway, you know, measurement is a big component of that so that you don't fracture yourself inadvertently. So I, I think just picking up on that as well, building on it. So if, if you think about all the decisions that a marketer has to make, a CMO, all the critical, mission-critical decisions that a marketer has to make, if you're strategic about it, you take a step back and say, okay, what are my data support, data sources to support that? What does my tech stack look like? How do they all integrate? And then what are my systems and processes to support all of that? You can have a, a machine <laughs> that ultimately takes care of of the majority of what you need to take care of. And then you staff around it. So my strategy is driving my structure, which is driving the staffing that I need. And that staffing is going to be different than what you've needed in the past, given what you're setting up. Uh, so it's really a you know, true kind of change management exercise, but requires a, a step back. And again, to think about it strategically to say, what am I trying to accomplish? How do I pull all the pieces together, the data in the right areas, the technology in the right areas that's integrated towards 
a decision that's going to move the business forward. Yeah. 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 I, I would just, I a hundred percent agree. And I'd add, I'd say like, I, I think a lot of marketers have grown up more recent marketers, not us old guys, but like more recent marketers have grown up and yeah, they're basically like, they're really expert tacticians and we've got to get back to like leading cross-functionally so that we have those people that can think about how do I build the engine the system that that's needed to power this business. Most definitely, 100% agree. Two more questions for you. I'm curious if there's any brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of. You know, I'm going to probably be boring for your audience here and just going to beat a dead horse here. But, um, you know, I think I do think AI-based automation is something that, I mean, not necessarily cause, but I mean, it's something that if marketers embrace this effort uh, could be extremely, extremely powerful, right? So... I don't think that it's a threat to marketers' jobs. To your to your earlier point, it's about maybe changing their job and maybe allowing them to do things that they'd much rather be doing. The strategic pieces, the, the more creative pieces of the job. So, you know, if marketers embrace the data and technology in a strategic way, I think they win. And I think that's what I'm really interested in. I do a lot of reading, and obviously, we're very we're very tuned to what's happening in that world. Uh, but I do think it's something that. Um, you know, marketers should take note of and and really start to understand. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Well, last question. What do you feel like is the largest opportunity or threat to marketers today? Well, 50% of your marketing isn't working for you. So let's. <laughs> you should probably figure out which 50% it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes. So, I mean, it's amazing to me still how many marketers don't know that they, they can't really identify that. Right. And with all the, the tools and, 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 uh, and data that's available to folks, I mean, it is, it's a knowable question. So, um, you know, that is, if you're able to unlock that, that's the biggest opportunity markers can do. And by doing that, being able to articulate that and be able to demonstrate that confidently, I think that puts marketers on a totally different level. So there's no, there's no longer a need to, you know, hire over a CMO with a C, you know, chief growth officer or have that individual report to a COO, which we've seen as well. Marketing deserves to be its own its own group and deserves a seat at the C, as a, at the C-suite table. So I think being able to demonstrate the financial value of what marketing can do for an organization uh, puts them in that seat. I guess I'll just close by saying amen. <laughs> uh, no, Greg, it was great having you on the show. Thanks thanks for coming on and it's been a fun conversation. Uh, it's been a blast. Thanks for having me, Alan. Looking forward to talking soon. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.